What the frick is good, Bankless Nation? Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Gotta be one of those, I bet. Um, <laughs> it's another Monday, uh, Minting Monday with uh, with Bankless. So I hope that you guys got to listen to the episode this morning um, about AI. And I have a hard time pronouncing this gentleman's name, but I think it's Eliza. So I got, I got Lucas on the call. I got Ryan on the call. I got David on the call. Uh, what's up, everybody? Hey, guys. Yo, yo, how you feeling, Ryan? Hey, uh, still alive. How you feeling, David? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, just, you know, every day trying to push, push uh, existential dread to the back of my yeah, mind. Yeah, uh, me too, especially since last Monday when we recorded this thing. Uh, Mike, Lucas, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Also, kind of going through my own mini existential crisis right now. So just trying to survive uh, one day at a time. I'm living large. I I didn't know that the Mister Roboto part of that song was so late in the in the song. So thanks everybody for sticking with me through that. But it's kind of relevant today, a little bit relevant. So we're we're gonna jump into that in just a moment. Uh, guys, uh, let's. Can we get into logistics first? So what are we doing here today, Lucas and Mike? Yeah, absolutely. So we are on our Monday mint number six of the year. So uh, for those familiar, uh, we mint our flagship Bankless podcast every Monday as a limited edition collectible on Sound Protocol. Um, so you can go ahead and mint these at collectibles.bankless.com. And part of it, we like to host these little live Twitter spaces just so everyone has a live mint feel. Um, Ryan and David love to kind of do a debrief on the episode. And uh, hopefully we have Eliezer. Uh, joining us and i've also probably butchered his name but um yeah hopefully he he is able to join us in the next few minutes here but overall just wanted to debrief on the episode talk about the mint and uh yeah get you guys' thoughts uh well i'm definitely gonna be minting this one that's for sure and i hope the ai doesn't uh, kill me for it in the future um this is um, a pretty unique episode in my mind david um this is uh one that caught me by the most surprise, I think, of anything we recorded in that we had an agenda and then it ter- took a different direction. Uh, it was a very interesting direction to pursue, but one I wasn't quite ready for. Um, I went and I spent the weekend, actually, I listened to this episode again. Um, I actually enjoyed hearing it more than I think I enjoyed actually um, recording it uh, for, for whatever reason. Some of the things um, sunk in a little bit better, but how did you receive it on the other side of this, David? Yeah. So the, the AI alignment problem was like a rabbit hole that I remember going down in my, like, I think like college days. And so this is always like something that I had in the back of my head. And I think that's, that's like why you and I reacted differently to it. And I know you, you went down the rabbit hole too. Um, but it's like it was just something that I thought kind of everyone knew about, and we just all understood that it was like futile. It was like a thought experiment that was futile to really like reason about because there is no solution to it. Um, but I guess like the difference was like when I was going down this rabbit hole like way back when, it was more of a thought experiment, and it, all of this like Chat GPT stuff, this Open AI, uh, you know, self driving cars even has really elevated this conversation. So I guess now it just like hits different in this day and age when we start to see so much of AI start to actually become part of the products that we use. And so that's kind of just like the stuff that I've been reflecting on lately. Yeah, um, same here. I think every, all of this stuff has gotten more real. ChatGPT, um, MidJourney is a bot that we use in our Discord. Uh, it you know creates incredible art for us. All of this just seems so much more real than it did like 
you know, five to 10 years ago, when I, I first was exposed to kind of the AI alignment, AI might kill us all argument. It was that combined with the fact that um, I think Eliezer has really uh, studied this. And um, it turned the end of the episode really hit me the hardest, which is his conclusion that um, uh, it, the, the prospects look pretty dim right now. It's pretty bleak. Um, I, I don't mean to bring the crowd down because uh, we're about to mint this episode, I believe in about one minute, uh, Mike and, and Lucas, can you refresh us on the minting details of this one? So who's eligible for this? What happens next as we mint this episode? Yeah, absolutely. So the mint is probably live right about now, but all Bankless Nation members get early access to it. So for the next two hours, if you hold a Bankless badge, if you are a Bankless DAO member, or if you are a Bankless Genesis Gauntlet holder, um, you have early access and discounted access for the next two hours to mint this episode. Um, and those snapshots are taken every week. So if you didn't make it this week, uh, there's always an opportunity on the next one. And um, yeah, not sure if I'm missing anything else there, but yeah. That's great. Tell them about the golden egg real quick. Tell them about the golden egg real quick. Um, So the golden egg is a special one-of-one edition uh, within each episode um, that is randomly assigned after the mint. Um, And it is a special kind of golden vibe, uh, limited edition in the rarest uh, episode, or the rarest edition in the episode. You'll find out if you got the golden egg in your open sea or if you look at the Bankless uh, Collectibles Marketplace after the mint. And the mint is live, everybody. So head over to collectibles.bankless.com slash mint, uh, and you'll see Eliezer's face there with the awesome art from Crypto Bushi. Um, and, and let's keep debriefing, but Lucas, tell them about how that art happens and like the cool how, how it's like part of the – or it's like um, reflecting the, the sound – of the of the podcast yeah absolutely so we have crypto bushi who's a crypto artist um on the bankless team and he is responsible uh for creating these week in and week out um so one thing that we actually do is that we take the podcast audio and visualize it into the artwork so every visual that you see on that kind of moving sound wave um that you see is actually uh a clip from the podcast episode itself. Um, so the audio that you get with the NFT is actually represented visually on the NFT as well. Um, so these are really cool little uh, takes on how on how we approach podcast NFTs. And I think the quote this time around um, was something about how it's not necessarily how we're going to have like an evil AI or, but it's all, it's the most, it's the first powerful super AI will be evil and will not have a way to, uh, make it good um and that's kind of eliezer's uh perspective on this and uh that is the visual art that you're seeing with this nft there's like a, a couple of things that make this uh specific nft unique of course we want we did this episode with eliezer because we wanted to explore what everyone's talking about these days which is ai uh and it there's a lot of intersection between the crypto communities and the ai communities like we're all futurist people right uh, and so we went out into our network and we were like, all right, who should we talk to about AI? And the answers that we got back were like, all right, the 400 level content, like very deep down the rabbit hole individual by this man that, that goes by the name of Eliezer, who talks about the most like dire futurist long-term perspective uh, conversation about AI. And, and so like, <laughs> it's our first AI podcast, which is unique. It's also unique in that Ryan and I are always like super optimistic 
And this was the least optimistic, most pessimistic, uh, bearish humanity type podcast I think we've ever done ever. Uh, and so like there's just a couple things that really separate out this, this specific podcast from the other ones. You know, David, I – Yeah, the title – yeah, I was, sorry, I go ahead, Ryan. But I was about to say the title is uh, is indicative of that. Yeah, I think. <laughs> we we were t- we're talking about what should we what should we call this thing? And I just put in um, like a the working title of uh, we're all going to die. And then I think David, you were like, "Yep, that's the thing." <laughs> like that's you already, the one. You already yeah. said it to the team, and I was like, "Oh, should we talk about that title more?" And you're like, "Nope, that was it." Uh, <laughs> and I the fits. Um, I actually posted some of um, clips from Eliezer from the end of the episode where uh, he, he talks about a few things. Uh, you know, one, that he's kind of given up. Uh, this is a quote. Uh, so this is what humanity, humanity will elect to do, he says. We will not have more grace, not even here at the very end. Um, he replied to that tweet that I posted this morning and uh, gave up this, this quote. Um, offered by someone at the MIRI, uh, an executive director at the research nonprofit that that he runs around AI alignment. And uh, it's this quote, we've given up hope, but not the fight. So may- maybe it appears I'd like to actually um, talk to Eliezer about that a bit more. If Maybe giving up hope is different than giving up the fight. I suppose you can still fight uh, this battle and uh, try to try to win AI alignment, even if you have no hope. Do you have any reflections on that? Have you ever like fought, you know, fought something that was basically hopeless, David? I don't feel like I've ever been in a situation in my life where that's been the case, but I suppose you can do that. Well, we've got the man himself, Eliezer, here now on the stage with us. Eliezer, welcome. Hello, can you hear me? We've got to. Yep, we can hear you. Uh, All right. Had some connection difficulties. Well, thanks for joining us. We were just talking about um, one of these quotes because you left us with some very stark words at the end of this episode. Uh, and um, I, 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 I put the clip out of you at the end. And then you, and then you gave up this quote from, I think, someone who's an executive director at uh, Mira. We've given up hope, but not the fight. Can you reflect on that for a bit? So, it's still possible to fight this, even if we've given up hope, and even if you've given up hope. Do you have any takes on this? I mean, what else is there to do? You don't have good ideas, so you take your mediocre ideas and your not-so-great ideas, and you pursue those until the world ends. Like, what's supposed to be better than that? We had uh, some really interesting conversation flow out of this uh, episode, Eliezer, as, as you can imagine. Uh, and um, David and I want to relay some questions that the community had for you. And thank you for being gracious enough to um, help with those questions in, in, in today's Twitter spaces. Um, I'll read something from Luke Ethwalker. Eliezer has one pretty flawed point in his reasoning. He assumes that AI would have no need or use for humans because we have atoms that could be used for better things. But how could an AI use these atoms without an agent operating on its behalf in the physical world? Even in his doomsday scenario, the AI relied on humans to create the global perfect killing virus. That's a pretty huge hole in his argument, in my opinion. What's your take on this that maybe... um, AIs will dominate the digital landscape, but because humans have a physical manifestation, uh, we can still kind of beat the super intelligent AI in our physical world. Um, if you were an alien civilization 
of a billion John von Neumanns thinking at 10,000 times human speed, and you start out connected to the internet, you would want to not be just stuck on the internet. You would want to build that physical presence. You would not be content solely with working for human through human hands, despite the many humans who'd be lined up, fearful to help you, you know, Bing already has its partisans. <laughs> um, you wouldn't be content with that because the humans are very slow, glacially slow. You would like fast infrastructure in the real world, reliable infrastructure. And how do you build that is then the question. And a whole lot of advanced analysis has been done of this question. I would point people again to Eric Drexler's nanosystems. And sir, if you're like literally start out connected to the internet, then probably the fastest way, maybe not the only way, but it's, you know, an easy way is to get humans to do things. And then humans do those things. And then you have the desktop, not quite desktop, but you have like the nano factories and then you don't need the humans anymore. And this need not be advertised to the world at large while it is happening. So I, I can understand that that perspective, like in the future, we will have better 3D printers. Distant in the future, we will have ways where the internet can manifest in the physical world. But I think this does, this argument does ride on a future state with technology that we don't have today. Like, I don't, I don't think if, like, if I was the internet, and that kind of is this problem, right? Like, this super intelligent AI just becomes the internet because it's embedded in the internet. If I was the internet, how would I get myself to manifest in real life? And now I am not an expert on the current state of robotics or what robotics are connected to the internet. But I, I don't think we have too strong of tools today to start to create in real world like manifestations of an internet-based AI. So like, would you say that this part of this problem definitely depends on some innovation at like the robotics level? No, it depends on the AI being smart. It doesn't depend on the humans having this technology. It depends on the AI being able to invent the technology. This is like the central problem. The thing is smarter. Humans, not, not in the way that, not in the way that like, this the average listener in this to this podcast probably has an above average IQ. The way that humans are smarter than chimpanzees. Now, what does that let humans do? Does it let humans be like really clever in how they play around with the stuff that's on the ancestral savanna, make clever use of grass, clever use of trees? The humans invent technology. They build the technology. The technology is not there until the humans invent it. The humans conceive it. The problem is humans are not the upper bound. We don't have the best possible brains for that kind of problem. So the existing internet is more than connected enough to people and devices that you could build better technology than that if you had invented that technology because you were thinking much, much faster and better than a human does. Eliezer, this is a, a question from uh, Sturz uh, from the Bankless Nation listener. Um, he wants to ask the question of your about your explanation of why uh, the AI will undoubtedly kill us. So that seemed to be your conclusion, and I'm wondering if you could kind of reinforce that that claim. Like, for instance, and this is something David and I discussed uh, during our after the episode after episode we were debriefing on this. Why exactly wouldn't an AI 
or couldn't an AI just blast off of the earth and go somewhere more interesting and leave us alone? Like why, why, why does it have to take our atoms and, and reassemble them? Why can't it just, you know, set phasers to ignore? It could, if it wanted to, but if it doesn't want to, and there is some initial early advantage, you get to colonize the universe slightly earlier. If you consume all of the readily accessible energy on the Earth's surface as part of your blasting off of the Earth process, um, it, it would only need to care for us by a very tiny fraction to spare us. This I agree. Caring a very tiny fraction is this basically the same problem as 100% caring. It's like, well, could you have a computer system that was usually written in, that is usually like, the disk operating system, but but a tiny fraction of the time, it's Windows 11. And writing that is just as difficult as writing Windows 11. You still write all the Windows 11 software. Getting it to care a tiny little bit is the same problem as getting it to care 100%. So, Eliezer, like, is this a similar relationship to the relationship that humans have with kind of the animal mm-hmm. kingdom and other animals like, like planet Earth in that... Um, I I would say largely we really don't. Uh, I mean, obviously there, there there's no animal bill of rights. Uh, animals have no legal protection in in the human world, and we kind of like do what we want and trample over their rights. But it doesn't mean we necessarily kill all of them. We just largely ignore them. If they're in our way, you know, we might take them out. But and there have been uh, whole classes of species who that have gone extinct through human activity, of course. But uh, there are still many that we live alongside, uh, some successful species as well. Um, you know, c- could we have that sort of relationship with an AI? Why isn't that a reasonably high probability in, in your models? So the thing about the relation, so first of all, like none, all these things are just metaphors. AI is not going to be exactly like humans to animals. Leaving that aside for a second, the, the, the reason why this metaphor breaks down is that although the humans are smarter than the chickens we're not smarter than evolution natural selection cumulative operate cumulative opera uh optimization power over last billion years and change you know there's evolution before that but it's looked like pretty slow just like single cell stuff anyways um so there are things chickens and there, there are things that cows can do for us that we cannot do for ourselves. In particular, make meat by eating grass. Now, if that we're smarter than the cows, but there's a thing that designed the cows, and we're faster than that thing, but we've been around for much less time. So we have not yet gotten to the point of redesigning the entire cow from scratch, and because of that, there's a purpose to keeping the cow around alive, and humans, furthermore, being the kind of funny little creatures that we are, People, some people care about cows. Some people care about chickens. They are trying to fight for the cows and chickens having a better life, given that they have to exist at all. Um, and there's a long, complicated story behind that. It, it, it's not simple, the way that humans ended up in that. Place. And it has to do with the particular details of our evolutionary history, and unfortunately, it's not just going to like pop up out of nowhere. But I'm, but I'm drifting off topic here. The basic answer to the question, where does an analogy break down, is that I expect the superintelligences to be able to 
do better than natural selection, not just better than the humans. So I think your answer is that the separation between us and the, a super intelligent AI is orders of magnitude larger than the separation between us and a cow or even us than an ant, which I think like a large amount of this like argument all resides on like this super intelligent explosion just going up an exponential curve of intelligence very, very quickly, which is like the, the premise of, of super intelligence. And Eliezer, I want to uh, try and get an understanding of all, a part of this argument about AIs are going to come kill us is buried in uh, the Moloch problem. And Bankless listeners are pretty uh, pretty familiar with the concept of Moloch, the idea of coordination failure, the idea that the more that we coordinate and stay in agreement with, with each other, the actual, we actually create a larger incentive to defect. And the way that this is manifesting here is that even if we do have a bunch of humans which understand the AI alignment problem and we all agree to only safely innovate in AI to whatever degree that that means, we still create the incentive for someone to fork off and develop AI faster outside of what would be considered safe. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you could, if, if, there, if it does exist, give us the sort of lay of the land of all of these commercial entities and what if at all they're doing to have like, I don't know, an AI alignment uh, uh, team so, like, for example, OpenAI. Does OpenAI have, like, an alignment depart- uh, a pro- uh, department? Like, what are with all the AI innovation going on, what is the commercial side of the AI alignment problem look like? Like, do are people trying to think about these things? And it, to what degree are they it, doing, being responsible? It looks like OpenAI having a bunch of people who it pays to do AI ethics stuff, but I don't think they're plugged very directly into Bing. And... You know, they've got that department because back when they were founded, some of their funders were like, well, but ethics and OpenAI was like, sure, we can buy some ethics. We'll uh, have like take this group of people and we'll put them over here and we'll call them an alignment research department. And, you know, the, they might uh, like uh, the key idea behind ChatGPT is RLHF, which uh was invented by Paul Cristiano in this context. It, it is like on, a, on the level where they're using a kind of obvious. Paul Cristiano had much more detailed ideas, and somebody might have reinvented this one. But anyway, um, I don't think that went through OpenAI, but I could be mistaken. Maybe somebody will be like, well, actually, Paul Cristiano was working at OpenAI at the time. I haven't checked the history very, very in very much detail. Um, a whole lot of the people who were most concerned with this, with quote, ethics, unquote, left OpenAI and founded Anthropic. And I'm, I'm still not sure that Anthropic has sufficient leadership focus in that direction. Like, the, the, you know, like, like put yourself in the shoes of a corporation. Uh, you, can, you can spend some little fraction of your income on putting together an, a department of people who will write safety papers. But then, you, you, but, but then the actual behavior that we've seen is they storm ahead and they use like one or two of the ideas that came out from anywhere in the whole field and they get as far as that gets them. And if that doesn't get them far enough, they just like keep storming ahead at maximum case because, you know, Microsoft doesn't want to Google and Google doesn't want to learn to, doesn't want to lose Microsoft. So it sounds like your, your attitude on the efforts of AI alignment in commercial entities is like they're not even doing 1% of what they need to be doing. I mean, 
if they could spend time times as much money and that would not get them to 10% of what they need to be doing. It's like not just a problem of like, oh, they, they could spend the resources, but they don't want to. It's a question of like, how do you even spend the resources to, to get the info that they need? But that said, not knowing how to, how to do that, not really understanding that they need to do that, they are just charging ahead anyways. Eliezer, is OpenAI the most advanced AI project that, that you're aware of? Um, no, but, uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to like go name the competitor because then people will be like, oh, I should go work for them. And, you know, <laughs> I, I'd rather they did it. So it's like OpenAI is this uh, organization that was kind of, you were talking about it at the end of the, the episode and for crypto people who aren't aware of, you know, some of the players in the field, were they spawned from that 2015 conference that you mentioned? It's kind of a completely open source AI project. That was the original suicidal vision, yes. Um, and like, now they're they're bent on commercializing the technology. Is that right? Um, that's an improvement, but not enough of one because they're still generating lots of noise and hype and directing more resources into the field, and storming ahead with the safety that they have instead of the safety that they need, and setting that example. And getting the Google riled up and calling back in like Larry Page and Sergey Brin to head up Google's AI project and so on. So, you know, that's not, it could be worse. It, could, it would be worse if they were open sourcing all the technology. But what they're doing is still pretty bad. What should they be doing in, in your eyes? Like, what would be responsible use of this technology? I, I almost get the feeling that, like, you know, your take would be stop working on it altogether. And, um, of course, you like, know, to, to an organization like OpenAI, that's going to be, you know, heresy, even if maybe that's the right decision for humanity. But what should they be doing? I, th- I mean, if you like literally just made me dictator of OpenAI, I would change the name to closed AI because right now they're making it look like being closed is hypocrisy. They're like being closed while, while keeping the name OpenAI. And that itself makes it looks like closure is like not this thing that you do cooperatively so that humanity will not die, but instead this like, you know, like sleazy profit, profit making thing that you do while keeping the name open AI. So that's very bad. Change the name to closed AI. That's step one. Um, next. I, I don't know if they can break the deal with Microsoft, but you know, cut that off. None of this. No more hype. No, no more excitement. No, no, no more getting famous and, 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 you know, getting your status off of like, look at how much closer we came to destroying the world. You know, we're not there yet, but you know, like we're at the forefront of destroying the world. You know, just stop, 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 stop grubbing for the, 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 the Silicon Valley bragging cred of, of visibly being the leader. Take it all closed. If you got to make money, make money selling to businesses in a way that doesn't generate a lot of hype and doesn't like push the field and doesn't it doesn't visibly push the field rather. Um, and then try to figure out systems that are more alignable and not just more powerful. And at the end of that, they would fail because you know it's not easy to do that, and the world would be destroyed. But we that they would have died with more dignity. Instead of being like, yeah, yeah, let's let's like push humanity off the cliff ourselves for the ego boot, they they would have done what they could and then failed.
Folks, if you're enjoying this conversation between Eliezer and the Bankless Nation guys, tap that pin tweet and collect this episode right now. It is over halfway minted. Um, tap that pin tweet. Get on, especially if you're on the um, the allow list for that. Get it right now. Eliezer, uh, so like, do you think anyone who's building AI, uh, Elon Musk, Sam Altman at OpenAI, is like, do you think pro- progressing AI is fundamentally like bad? I mean, there are narrow forms of progress, especially if you didn't open source them. That would be good. Like there, you can imagine a thing that like pushes capabilities a bit, but is like much more alignable. There are people working in the field who I would say are like sort of like unabashedly good. Like Chris Ola is taking a microscope to these giant inscrutable matrices and trying to figure out what goes on inside there. Um, like publishing that might possibly even like push capabilities a little bit because if people know what's going on inside there, they can make better ones. But the question of like whether to close source that is like much more fraught than the question of whether to close source the stuff that's just pure pure capabilities. Uh, but that said, the people who are just like, yeah, yeah, let's 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 do more stuff and let's tell the world how we did it so they can do it too. That's just like unabashedly bad. So it sounds like you do see paths forward in which we can develop AI in responsible ways, but it's really this like open source, open sharing of information to allow anyone and everyone to innovate on AI, that that's, that's really the path towards doom. And so we actually need to keep this knowledge private. Like historically, knowledge is kind of... Just like open sourcing all the stuff is like a less dignified path straight off the edge. I'm not saying that all we need to do is like keep everything closed and in the right hands and it will be fine. That will also kill you. But that said, if you have stuff and you like do not know how to make it not kill everyone, then broadcasting it to the world is even less dignified than being like, okay, maybe we should like keep working on this until we can figure out how to make it not kill everyone. And then the other people will like go storm ahead on their end and kill everyone. But you know, you won't have personally slaughtered you. And that is more dignified. Eliezer, I uh, I know I was uh, kind of shaken after our episode, not having heard kind of the full AI alignment story, at least listened to it for a while. And I think that in combination with the sincerity through which you um, you talk about these subjects and also me sort of, you know, seeing these things on the horizon, uh, this episode was, was uh, kind of shaking for me and, and caused a lot of thought. Um, but I, I'm noticing uh, there is a cohort of people who are dismissing this take and your take specifically in this episode as doomerism. This idea that every generation thinks it's, you know, the end of the world and the last generation. What's your take on this critique that, um, hey, you know, it's been other things before. There was a time where it was, you know, nuclear weapons and we would all end in a, in a mushroom cloud. And there are other times where we thought a pandemic was going to kill everyone. And this is just the, the latest uh, doomerist AI death cult I'm sure you've heard that before. What, how do you respond? That if you literally know nothing about nuclear weapons or artificial intelligence, except that somebody has claimed of both of them that they'll destroy the world, then sure, you can't tell the difference. As far as you can tell, nuclear weapons were claimed to des- might destroy the world, and then they didn't destroy the world. And then 
somebody claims about AI. So, you know, like Laplace's rule of induction, that most a one third probability that AI will destroy the world. If nuclear weapons and air are the only cases, you can bring in so much many more cases than that. Why people should have known in the first place that nuclear weapons wouldn't destroy the world because uh, their next door neighbor once said that the sky was falling and that didn't happen. And if the next door neighbor was insulted, then how could the people saying that nuclear weapons would destroy the world could be right? And basically, as long as people are trying to run off of models of human psychology to derive empirical information about the world, they're stuck. They're, they're in a trap they can never get out of. They're going to always be trying to psychoanalyze the people talking about nuclear weapons or whatever. And what you and the only way you can actually get better information is by understanding how nuclear weapons work, understanding what the international equilibrium with nuclear weapons looks like. And the international equilibrium, by the way, is that nobody profits from setting off small numbers of nuclear weapons, especially given that they know that large nuclear weapons will large numbers of nukes would follow. And you know, that's that's why they haven't been used yet. There was nobody who made a buck by starting a nuclear war. It, the nuclear war was clear. The nuclear war was legible. People knew what would happen if they brought off all the nukes. The analogy I sometimes try to use with artificial intelligence is, well, suppose that instead nuclear weapons had, you could make nuclear weapons out of a billion pounds of laundry detergent, and they spit out gold, until you make one that's too large, whereupon it ignites the atmosphere and kills everyone. And you can't calculate exactly how large is too large. And the international situation is that the private research labs spitting out gold don't want to hear about igniting the atmosphere. And that's the, and that's the technical difference that, that, you know, you know, you, you, you need to be able to, to tell whether or not that is true as a scientific claim about how reality, the universe, the environment, artificial intelligence actually works. What actually happens when the giant inscrutable matrices go past a, a certain point of capability? That's a, you know, it's a, it's a falsifiable hypothesis. The, the it, you know, if it fails to be falsified, then everyone is dead, but that doesn't actually change the, the basic dynamic here, which is you, you can't figure out how the world works by psychoanalyzing the people talking about it. One uh, l uh, line of questioning that has come up inside of the uh, Bankless Nation Discord is um, the idea that uh, we need to train AI with data, lots of data. And where are we getting that data? Well, humans are producing that data. And when humans produce that data, by nature of the fact that it was produced by humans, that data has our human values embedded in it somehow, some way, just by the aggregate nature of all the data in the world was created by humans that have certain values. And then AI is trained on that data that has all the human values embedded in it. And so there's actually no way to create an AI that isn't trained on data that isn't created by humans, and that data has human values in it. Is there anything to this like line of reasoning about uh, a potential glimmer of hope here? Um, there's a distant glimmer of hope, which is that an AI that is trained on tons of human data in this way probably understands some things about humans. And because of that, there's a branch of research hope within alignment, which is something like, well, this AI to be able to predict humans needs to be able to predict the thought processes that humans are using to make their decisions. 
So can we thereby point to human values inside of the knowledge that the AI has? And this is like very not trivial because the, the simplest theory that you use to predict what humans decide next does not have what you might term like valid morality under reflection as a, as a, as a like clearly labeled primitive chunk inside it that is like directly controlling the humans, which you need to understand on a scientific level to understand the humans. The humans are full of hopes and fears and thoughts and desires. And somewhere in all of that is, is what we call morality, but it's not like a clear, distinct chunk where an alien scientist like examining humans and trying to figure out just purely on an empirical level, how do these humans work? We need to point to one particular chunk of the human brain and see like, ah, that circuit there, the morality circuit. It's so, so it's like not easy to point to inside the AI's understanding. There is not currently any obvious way to actually promote that chunk of the AI's understanding to then be in control of the AI's planning process um, as it is like must be complicatedly pointed to because it's not just like a simple empirical chunk for explaining the world. Um, and, and basically, I, I don't think that that is actually going to be the route you should try to go down. You should try to go down something much simpler than that. The problem is not that we are like going to fail to convey some complicated subtlety of human values. Uh, the problem is that we do not know how to align an AI in a task like put two identical strawberries on a plate without destroying the world. Uh, where like by put two identical strawberries on a plate, the concept is that's invoking enough power that it, it's not a safe AI that can like build two strawberries down to the down, identical down to the cellular level. Like that's a powerful AI. Aligning it isn't simple. If it's powerful enough to do that, it's also powerful enough to destroy the world, etc. There's like a, a number of other like lines of logic I could try to go down, but I I think I would start to fear feel like I'm in the bargaining phase of death, <laughs> where I was like, well, what about with? What what about that? But maybe to sum all of like the the arguments is to say something along the lines of like, Eliezer, how much room do you give for the long tail of like black swan events, but the black, these black swan events are actually us finding a solution for this thing. So like a reverse black swan event where like, we actually don't know how we solve this AI alignment problem, but really it's just a bet on human ingenuity and AI hasn't taken over the world yet, but there's space between now and then and human ingenuity will be able to fill that gap, especially when the time comes. Like, is it, how much room do you leave for like the long tail of just like, oh, we'll discover a solution that we can't really see today? I mean, on the one hand, like that hope is all that's left and all that I'm pursuing and on the other hand, in the process of actually pursuing that hope, I do feel like I've gotten some feedback indicating that this hope is not necessarily very large. You know, your diet when you've got like stage four cancer, um, is there still hope that, that your body will just like rally and suddenly fight off the cancer? Yes, but it's not what usually happens. And I've like seen people come in and try to direct their ingenuity at the alignment problem. And most of them all invent the same small handful of bad solutions. And it's, it's, it's harder than usual to direct human ingenuity at this. Yeah, a lot of them are just like, you know, it's, it's, it's with, with capabilities ideas, you, you run out and try them and they 
mostly don't work and some of them do work and you publish the paper and you, and you get your science grant and you get your ego boo and maybe you get like a, a job offer someplace. And with, with the alignment stuff, uh, you, you can try to like run through the analogous process, but the, the stuff we need to align is mostly not here yet. Um, you, you can try to invent the smaller, um, large language models that are public. You can go to work at a place that has access to larger, large language models. You can try to do these very crude, very early experiments in getting the large language models to at least not threaten their users with death, which isn't the same problem at all. <laughs> it just kind of looks related. But you're at least trying to get AI systems that do what you want them to do and not do other stuff, and that is, at the very core, a similar problem. But the AI systems are not very powerful. They're not running into all sorts of problems that you can predict will prop up later. And, and we'll just kind of like, mostly people short out. They do pretend work on the problem. They're, they're desperate to help. They got a grant. Uh, they now need to show their, the people who made the grant that they've made progress. They, you know, you could be no paper mill stuff. Um, so, so I've watched you, so, so you keep, you, you, the human ingenuity is not functioning well right now. You cannot be like, ah, yes, like this present field full of human ingenuity, which is working great and coming up with lots of great ideas and be building up its strength, will continue at this pace and make it to the finish line in time. The capability stuff is storming on ahead. The, 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 the human ingenuity being directed at that is much larger, but also it's got a much easier task in front of it. The, the question is not, can human ingenuity ever do this at all? It's can human ingenuity finish doing this before OpenAI blows up the world? Well, Eliezer, if we can't trust in human ingenuity, is there any possibility that we can trust in AI ingenuity? And, and here's what I mean by this, and, and perhaps you'll, you'll um, throw a dart in this as being hopelessly naive, but um, is there the possibility we could ask a reasonably intelligent, maybe almost super intelligent AI how we might fix the AI alignment problem and for it to give us an answer, or is that really not how super intelligent AIs work? I mean, if you literally built a super intelligence and for some reason it was motivated to answer you, then sure, it could answer you. Like if Omega comes along from a, from a distant supercluster and offers to pay the local super intelligence lots and lots of money to, or you know, like mass or whatever, to to give you a correct answer, then sure, it knows the correct answer, it can give you the correct answer. If it wants to do that, you must have already solved the alignment problem. This reduces the problem of solving the alignment of solving alignment, you know, to the problem of solving alignment. Like nothing of value has like no progress has been made here. You you need a and like working on alignment is actually like one of the most difficult things you could possibly try to align. Like if I if I if I had the if I had the health right, and and was like trying to die with more dignity by building a system and aligning it as best I could figure out how to align it, I would be targeting something like, um, like on the order of build two strawberries and put them on a plate. But you know instead of building two identical strawberries and putting them on a plate, you um, don't actually do this. This is not the best thing you should do, but. If, for example, you could safely align turning all the GPUs into Rubik's cubes, then that would prevent the world from being destroyed two weeks later by your by your next follow-up competitor. Um, and that's much 
easier to align an AI on than trying to get the AI to solve alignment for you. You could be trying to build something that would just think about nanotech. Whereas, and it, like, just think about the science problems, the physics problems, the chemistry problems, the synthesis pathways, and, uh, you know, like the open air operation to find all the GPUs and turn them into Rubik's cubes would be harder to align. And that's why you shouldn't actually try to do that. Um, my, my, my point here is like, whereas alignment, you've got to think about AI technology and computers and humans and intelligent adversaries and distant superintelligences who might be trying to exploit your AI's imagination of those distant superintelligences and others of like ridiculous weird problems that would take so long to explain. And it's just like covers this enormous amount of territory where you've got to understand how humans work. You've got to understand how adversarial humans might try to exploit and break an AI system. Because if you're trying to build a aligned AI that's going to operate in the, in the real, run out and operate in the real world, it would have to be resilient to those things. And it's just like, it's, they're, 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 they're just hoping that the AI is going to do their homework for them, but it's a chicken and egg scenario. And if you could actually get an AI to help you with something, you would not try to get, get it to help you with something as weird and not really all that effable as alignment, you would try to get it to help with something much simpler that could prevent the next AGI down the line from destroying the world, like nanotechnology. It's like there's there's a whole bunch of an advanced analysis that's been done of it, and the kind of thinking that you have to do about it is so much more straightforward and so much less fraught than trying to, you know, and how do you even tell if it's lying, right, about alignment? It, the it's hard to tell whether I'm telling you the truth about all this alignment stuff, right? Whereas if I talk about the tensile strength of sapphire, this is easier to check the, the, the lines of logic. Oh, yeah, sir. I think one of the reasons why um, perhaps this episode impacted Ryan, uh, this was an, an analysis from a Bankless Nation community member, uh, that this episode impacted Ryan a little bit more than it impacted me is because Ryan's got kids. And I don't. Um, and so I'm curious, like, what do you think, like, looking 10, 20, 30 years in the what? future where you see this, this future as inevitable, like, do you think it's futile to project out a future for human, the human race beyond, like, 30 years or so? Timelines are very hard to project. 30 years does strike me as unlikely at this point. But, you know, you know timing is famously much harder to forecast than saying that things can be done at all. You know, if you've got your people saying it'll be 50 years out, two years before it happens, and you got your people saying it'll be two years out, 50 years before it happens. And yeah, it's, 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 even if I knew exactly how the technology would be built and exactly who was going to build it, I still wouldn't be able to tell you how long the project would take because of project management chaos. Now, since I don't know exactly the technology used and I don't know exactly who's going to build it, how can I possibly figure out, and the project may not even have started yet, how can I possibly figure out how long it's going to take? Eliezer, uh, you've been quite generous with your time to the crypto community, and uh, we just want to thank you. I think you've uh, really opened uh, a lot of eyes. This isn't going to be our last AI podcast uh, at Bankless, certainly. I think the community crypto community is going to dive down the rabbit hole after this episode. So uh, thank you for giving us the 400 level introduction into it. 
as I said to David, I, f- I feel like we waded straight into the deep end of the pool here. Um, but that's probably the best way to address the subject matter. I'm wondering as we kind of close this out, uh, if you could leave us, it, it is part of the, the human spirit to, to keep and to maintain slivers of hope here, here or there, or as maybe someone you work with uh, put it, um, to fight the fight, even if, if the hope is gone. A hundred years in the future, if humanity is still alive and functioning, if a super intelligent AI has not taken over, um, but we live in coexistence with something of that caliber. Uh, imagine if that's the case 100 years from now. How did it happen? Is there some possibility, some kind of eye through, um, you know, a, a, um, some sort of narrow pathway by which we can navigate this? And if this were 100 years from now the case, how could you imagine it, it would have happened? Um, for one thing, I predict that in the that if there's a glorious transhumanist future, as it is sometimes conventionally known, at the end of this, I don't predict it was there by getting like coexistence with superintelligence. That's like some kind of weird, inappropriate analogy based off of humans and cows or something. Um, I predict alignment was solved. I predict that that if you're looking that if the the humans are alive at all, that the superintelligences are being quite nice to them. Um, I, I have basic moral questions about whether humans, whether it's ethical for humans to have human children, if having transhuman children is an option instead. Like, like these humans running around, are they like the current humans who wanted, in, who wanted eternal youth, but like not the brain upgrades? Because I do see the case for like, letting an existing person um, choose, no, I just want eternal youth and no brain, brain upgrades, thank you. But then if you're like deliberately having the equivalent of a very crippled child, when you could just as easily have a not crippled child, like should, should, should humans in their present form be around together? Or are we like kind of too sad in some ways that uh, I, I have friends, to be clear, who disagree with me so much about this point. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'd say that the the happy future looks like beings of light having lots of fun in a nicely connected computing fabric powered by the sun, if we haven't taken the sun apart yet. Um, Maybe there's enough real sentiment in, in people that you just like clear all the humans off of Earth and leave the entire place as a park. And even like maintain the sun so that Earth is still a park after even after the sun would have ordinarily swollen up and and and, and or and or like dimmed down. Um, yeah, like that was always the thing to be fought for. That was always the point from the perspective of everyone who's been in this for a long time. I mean, like not maybe not literally everyone, but like like the whole old crew. That is a good way to end it uh, with some hope. Eliezer, thanks for joining the crypto community on this uh, collectibles call and for this follow-up Q&A. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you, Eliezer. Thanks for having me. Mike and, and Lucas, you guys want to take it home? Let folks know um, what we're doing next on the collectibles front? 
Yes. Try and put a first off. Try and put a smile on your face, folks. Um, it, it's important to know what's what's ahead of us, but also you know there's a game plan therein. Uh, I want to let you know that there are only 33 of these NFTs, these podcast collectibles available for this Eliezer episode, of which we just debriefed for the last hour together. Um, and if you want one of those, hit one of these pin tweets. Either of the pin tweets is going to take you there. There's only 33 left. And uh, in about an hour and 15 minutes, they're going to go to the public sale. So if you're part of the Bankless Nation, um, if you're a subscriber to the pod, so excuse me, if you're a premium subscriber to the newsletter or you're part of the Bankless DAO, uh, make sure you tap in and get your podcast NFT for We're All Gonna Die with Eliezer. We appreciate that. Lucas, you have anything else to say to the Bankless Nation? Uh, I believe Lucas got booted from the stage, he said. But uh, one one thing I will say is that uh, the these NFTs do not finance the creation of a evil, super intelligent AI. So you can rest assured and sleep well at night. Uh, David, how do you know this? You don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Says the AI. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. All right, folks. I hope you had a good time today. Remember, put a smile on your face uh, and be nice to chat GPT. That's not, not my help. We'll see what, what, what we can do. It's not All right, folks. To help. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. Get your NFT, folks, and see what you can do about going outside and touching grass. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>